Good evening. As we prepare, uh, as, as, as I was preparing for this, uh, one of the phrases that I often hear uh, in my life uh, came to mind. Uh, it was, I think that you may have bitten off more than you could chew. And while my family has countless examples of, uh, of ways in which that has, has held true in my life, uh, one that came to mind that was rather humorous was uh, at, at one point we went out to eat at our local Moe's restaurant, and it was several years ago, but they were doing this, uh, this contest um, or competition where they, you could enter into a burrito eating contest. And I told Jessica, I said, this, this is something that I should do. Uh, and so I, I registered, uh, thinking, whatever, this is, this is not going to happen. But uh, several months later, I got this phone call from somebody that must have called lots of different people, and uh, they said, would you like to enter into this contest to eat burritos? And I said, of course I would, and they sound surprised, um, but they said, okay, then you just need to show up uh, on you know, this Saturday morning before the restaurant opens, uh, and, and you'll compete. And I thought, this is, this is exciting. Uh, and so I, with excitement, showed up to the restaurant, um, and I all of a sudden started getting a little uneasy because I looked, and there was an ambulance waiting out in front of the restaurant. Uh, when I walked in, there was EMTs, and they had all the life-saving equipment laid out, uh, and that was troubling, but I think the more troubling thing was is there, were, there was only one other guy there uh, that was going to compete. And the manager quickly looked at us and said, um, you know, there's only two of you and we have two stores, so both of y'all made it to the, to the finals. And I was like, uh-oh. Uh, so, so basically, you're going to go compete um, at, uh, the, at Turner Stadium in front of lots of people and, and you'll, uh, you'll compete and represent our stores. And I, I left with my bag of burritos that they didn't even let us, they let us practice at home. Uh, but I thought to myself... This this is this is something I've I've taken too much of a, a bite out of, and and I didn't I didn't necessarily anticipate. Uh, just to to put your mind at ease, I did not win. Um, but as we look at uh, Monday Thursday, as as Pastor Sam said, uh, many times uh, when I when I tell the children, they say, "Well, that's just a Southern accent of saying Monday." No, Monday is actually um, a, it means in Latin a command. So command. Uh, Thursday, and so in in the um, in the upper room, uh, the Lord I, he he gave a new commandment, a new mandate. Uh, in John thirteen uh, thirty four, it's recorded, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And as we look at this commandment, I think oftentimes we'll either skim over it. Or when we really start to analyze it, uh, we start to realize that we uh, are going to bite off far more than we can chew when we start to process how we are to do this. Um, And so as we think of that, um, the question that we're going to try and answer tonight is how are we able to love in the way that Jesus has commanded us to? Uh, to do that, we're going to be looking at uh, a passage that happens a little bit later in the upper room. Um, in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, it's, a, it's after um, the, the reading that uh, Pastor Tim uh, read. It's after the foot washing. It's after Judas has left. Um, and it's after the command. Uh, and so let me read it for us now. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your, first, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. It's a long passage, and the way in which we'll try and digest it uh, this evening is first we're going to look and try and establish what a definition of love is. Then we'll look at how the Father loves. Then we'll look at how the Son loves. And then we'll go back to the question that we tried to answer at the beginning, how we are to try and fulfill the commandment to love. And so if we look at the word love, uh, in our context, culturally, there's all kinds of ways in which we are told uh, we can love. Uh, If you doubt that, all you have to do is turn on a country music song, and you can hear all the different types of love uh, that individuals can have, whether that's a love for a truck, whether that's a love for an animal, a love for a beverage, uh, a love for a family, or even a love for a wife. Uh, We all use that same uh, four-letter word, love. Uh, But in the Greek, uh, things are a little bit different. Back in the time in which the New Testament was written, there were three uh, major ways in which love was communicated, uh, two of which were used in the New Testament, um, but there was a third uh, called eros, uh, and it was a love uh, that was, again, not used in the New Testament, but it was one that described a sexual love or um, an influenced by evil. You can think of the debauchery that would go on in, in temple worship um, to different idols, and that's the word, uh, and we, from that word is derived uh, our word, the erotic. Um, and so, we also have two other words in the Greek uh, this, that are used, um, one of them being phileo, uh, which is a natural affection or a brotherly love. Uh, with that, you can think of uh, Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. But then there's also the one that's more frequently used, which is the agape love. It's a, the supreme concept of love, the, the highest that there is, and it's grounded in the character of God Himself. And that's the love in which we will be talking about tonight, this agape love. And so as we think of the love being grounded in uh, the character of God Himself, it's right for us to look at how does the Father love. So that is our first uh, major, ap- or major uh, point we'll be looking at is how does the Father love. And before we uh, move into actually looking at how the Father loves, I think it's helpful for us to understand some of the attributes that the Father has. Uh, as we read in Isaiah, we know that He is holy. The angels cried out loudly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He is above anything that we could ever imagine. Uh, he was not created, and we are. So it is hard for us to comprehend those things. Uh, he's also eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. 
He's also sovereign, so everything that he does is for a purpose. Nothing happens without, reason, without a purpose for it. And so this helps shape us, our understanding of what love uh, the Father has. But also as we look, um, theologians throughout the years have given us three different categories that help us to be able to understand the Father's love a little bit more. So we'll be looking at each one of those categories quickly. The first category is the Lord's goodwill to all people. If we look at Ezekiel 33:11, we read, "Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live." So here we understand and we are shown how God has goodwill towards all, that he has this will that everyone would be able to to live and to love and to be able to turn away from wickedness. We also have a second category in which the Lord shows an act of doing, well, of doing good. Uh, we see this on display in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45, when he says, you've heard, it said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes, his, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. So here we see God's goodwill poured out upon uh, the, the people in this world, whether that's the sun rising or whether that is the, the rain pouring out upon the ground and bringing forth fruit. And then the third category we have is his delight and pleasure with those in relationship with him. In Matthew chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism, we get a small glimmer or a ray in which we can see the Father's love for His Son when He says, Behold, and behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so we see the Father's love, but in that we also, in this verse, are reminded of the Son's love. So that's our next point. Let's look at how the Son loves We need uh, first to see uh, that Jesus perfectly abided in God's, the Father's love. We can see that in doing so, He also loved in the same categories in which the Father did. The first, in His goodwill toward all people. We see many times in the New Testament in which Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He looked at them, He went and He taught them, and He wanted to be near to them. And in the second category, we see that it wasn't just a goodwill, but it was actions. He feeds the 5,000. He heals those that are around him that are hurting. He teaches them. He brings them near to him, and he allows them to touch them and to sit in his lap. He calls the children near to him. He's doing good for them. And then the third category, his delight and pleasure in relationship with him. This one is, is easy for us to see at times, but also can be blinding because we, we, we don't really think about it too much. But as we look at the definition that the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, we get a lot clearer picture of what love actually is. This is the definition of agape love that Jesus loves with. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We see that Jesus' love was vertical where he loved the Father, but it's also horizontal in which he loved the people that he had came to save. He, does, he loves both at the same time. And so that brings us to our final point before we head to the table. How are his friends to love? Or that question we first started with, how are we to love in the way that Jesus has commanded us to love? I think as we look at this, we need to start understanding the weight of this commandment first. When I hear the word of a commandment, I go back to the ways in which my parents were told me that I needed to do something. I understood that if I did it, there would be some kind of blessing or some kind of reward. But if I didn't, that there would be some kind of punishment or some kind of judgment that was put upon me. And so as we start to think of what this means, we need to start to think about what it means that both the Father and the Son have shown goodwill to all, that both the Father and the Son have acted with good to all, and both the Father and the Son delight and pleasure in the relationship with whom they love. So what happens when a perfect God who must judge perfectly looks at our lives? We can see some of the commands to keep the Father's love, but we can see the, the different ways in which judgment comes to those outside of God's love. In Romans chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impotent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Or an even more trying one for us in the church in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As you can imagine, these passages scare me. They fill me with all kinds of doubts, and they may to you as well. And so at that point is when I think we start to understand the beauty that Jesus is teaching and preparing the disciples for here. If we look at an example of the Apostle Peter, we see a way in which he took off a bite too big to chew, and we see the response of Jesus to it. If we remember in the upper room, Peter is asked to have his feet washed by Jesus, and he responds with, he doesn't want that. Instead, he feels like he should wash. And when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to do this, you need this to happen, his response is, wash all of me. But then Jesus comes to him and continues to show him that this is, this is how it's to be done. And he's preparing them for the future. And Paul, or Peter's response to Jesus is, I will be with you always. I will never leave you. I will never depart from you, even if it comes to death. But we also see Jesus in that conversation where he tells Peter, you know what is going to happen. You're actually going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. 
And so we see this, this picture of the Apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, and he has this huge expectations of how he is going to love Jesus. But in this, we see that he falls short, and he falls down, and then we see that uh, he is, is in, a, in a bit of despair. But then we see after the death and resurrection of Christ, this beautiful picture of Jesus going out and showing his love to Peter. It's an interesting passage because in the English language, the, the, the loves used here are oftentimes, I, I didn't understand that there was differences in there, but as we look at this passage in John chapter 1, verses 15 through 19, there's a word play that's going on that we don't fully understand, but I think it gives us a better picture of what Jesus is trying to teach Peter in these circumstances. Let me read it for you now. This is John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And so as we look at that question, or we look at that word love, we ask the question, what kind of love is that? If we look at the Greek, we would understand that that's the agape love, that, that heavenly love, that one in which Jesus is talking about. So he says, do you agape love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so what is, what is the love that's being used here that Peter uses? His response is not agape love, but in fact, it is the phileo love, the friendship love. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And then a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And this third time is when things get serious. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo love me? Jesus changed from agape love to phileo love. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I phileo love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so in this profound dialogue, we see the love that the Savior has for Peter. We see that Jesus hasn't abandoned him. He wasn't leaving him all to himself because he denied him three times. He's not talking about a phileo type of friendship love but Jesus is pursuing Peter because he's talking about this agape love, the supreme concept of love that's grounded in the character of God himself. That's the love that Jesus has for Peter. And Peter is loved by Jesus, and so Peter is able to love in return. Jesus is teaching the disciples and us how the gospel works. Out of the Father's love, he sent his son into the world to seek and to save the lost. Out of the son's love for the father, he went and obeyed every law the father had commanded him to perfectly. In doing so, he showed the greatest love by laying down his life. And it means that there is now a way in which all of our sins can be washed away. But it also means that there is a way in which Jesus' perfect works can be applied to all those who believe. Jesus first loved us so that we are able to 
abide in his agape love. So how do we apply these truths to our lives? And I think the first question that we need to ask ourselves is, do you love Jesus? Not just as a friend, but do you agape love Jesus? There are warnings here for those that do not, those that maybe think that they can love him but not do everything that he commands. The warnings are clear. You'll be asked to depart from the Lord and be judged for eternity. So I would ask that you wouldn't kid yourself, that you would instead consider the ways in which the Lord is calling you to be loved by him and that you would cry out to the Lord and that he would do a mighty work in your life. For many of us, as we consider these things, we have all kinds of doubts. And as Tim pointed out last Sunday, there's a great question that we should ask. Instead of asking, am I saved? We should be asking the Lord, do I love you? Because even if we love the Lord just a little bit, it means something very profound. It means that we were loved first. And so that we are able to love the Lord. So that means that we are covered with Christ's works. So with that, what are we doing? Are we doing what Jesus has commanded? This is a commandment. It doesn't mean that just because Jesus did that and he loves us that we shouldn't do it. Our response by love is that we should be able to love others. Agape love cannot be contained. It should, it should pour forth out of us. And so we ask, I ask the question, who are you not loving good enough? Why are you able to love others, some better than others? Why do you struggle loving some? And then why do we look at some people and say that you can love them easily, but then when people do things that hurt you, You're unable to forgive or unable to look at them and say, you know what, I can love you because Christ loved me. And so with that, we're confronted with our last application point. What do you do when you're confronted with your lack of love? We need to understand, uh, as, as Pastor Tim read in the scripture reading, that Jesus didn't leave us alone, that he didn't just go away because he was tired of being around us that he left so that the helper would come. And as we are loved, the Holy Spirit enters into our bodies, enters into, our, into us, and so we're able to love in ways that we were not able to before. He gives us and empowers us the ability to die to self and to live unto Christ. So we need to be reminded of that. We also need to go back to the gospel every time that we fail and be reminded, just as Peter was, that Jesus loved us first. It doesn't, doesn't matter how much we love, but the Lord loved us first. And so we need to daily go back to the gospel and rem- be reminded of what Jesus has done in our lives. We also need to rejoice in what he's done. We need to stop and think what it means that the Lord of the universe has loved his son in a perfect way. And now that's how much the son, Jesus, loves us. What a beautiful picture that should remind us over and over again. But we can also be reminded of the wonderful gifts that Jesus has given to his children. He's given us his word. We're able to read it. We're able to understand the love of the Lord more clearly. 
we're able to pray. We can have a relationship with the Lord where we can, through the, the great intercessor, the, the high priest that Jesus is, we're able to offer up requests and, and the Lord will answer him. We see that in this passage, that if we ask, the Father will answer. And we also have these wonderful sacraments that the Lord has given us. We have the table that's set before us and we also have this wonderful gift of baptism in which we not only see the sign of what the Lord has promised, but we have it sealed to our hearts. And so let me pray for us before we head to the table. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have loved us first. We thank you that you have loved us so much that you have sent your Son to come and provide for us forgiveness, salvation, a way in which we can be loved by you and Lord, the way in which we can love and return. So Lord, we pray that you would equip us. We pray that you would allow our hearts to be transformed and allow us to be made more in your image. Lord, we pray that as we head to the table that you would nourish us and that you would feed us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I need to explain a few things. This is a sign. Uh, It is bread and it is juice. Um, These are physical signs that we can taste, that we can see, that we can smell and touch, that the Lord has given to us because we're physical beings. These don't turn into the actual blood and body of Jesus, but they are a a wonderful spiritual nourishment that comes to us. Uh, This is a seal or a guarantee. If you think of those old letters in which wax was dripped onto the envelope and the the signet ring was, was pressed into that wax, this is a seal that the promises that are held in these will be fulfilled by our Heavenly Father. It helps us to remember Christ and what He's done for us. It helps us to fight against sin. It helps us in a support of the endurance that we continue to be encouraged in. It encourages us to obey the different commands, like the commandment to love. It inspires us to love because we see the Lord's love on display for us. It also increases our faith because as we're weak, we receive spiritual nourishment. And it also gives us peace in knowing that as we look up, the Lord will return Jesus will return and that he will bring and usher in his new kingdom. And so we can celebrate and be encouraged in that as we wait for that return. But there are also different warnings that are in scripture. In 1 Corinthians 11, we are told that we should not take, partake of this meal in an improper manner. And so we like to warn all those that are non-believers that this table is not for you. This table is only for those that are followers of Jesus, that are loved by him and love him in return. And so if you are a non-believer, I'd ask that you would let this plate pass you by. If you are a child and you um, have not yet made a public profession of faith, we'd ask that you would consider what these plates uh, have in them, what the different elements are, and the different uh, gifts that they are to to Jesus' people, and that you would ask your parents, that we'll pray that the Lord would prick your hearts and that you would want to partake and that you would want to mature in your faith. And when you're ready, the, the elders of this church are eager and willing to listen. And then the final warning for those that are walking in unrepentant sin 
If in some way in your life you are looking at a sin and you are loving it more or anything else in this world, if you're loving it more than you're loving the Lord, then this table is not for you at this time. And so I'd ask that you would consider what that means, that you would seek the Lord out, that you would ask for forgiveness, that you would repent and that you would turn from that sin. But also in that, I need to remind you that there is a tremendous invitation here. This is not a table for perfect people. This is a table for anyone who is a member of a Bible-believing church, anyone who is a follower of Christ, anyone who has sinned and has messed up and needs the spiritual nourishment that it provides. It is a great and wonderful thing for us. Let me pray for us now. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we see this table that is set before us, we see your love on display. We remember on the night in which you were betrayed, the way in which you loved on your disciples, the way in which you prepared for them, prepared them for what lay ahead, the way in which you taught them, the way in which is recorded in your word that we can reflect on and even remember tonight. Lord, we pray that you would take these elements of this common bread and this juice and that you would use it for an uncommon measure, or that you would use it in a way that you have promised to be a sign and seal for us, your people, this evening. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, uh, let us be reminded of the mandate to love from our Passover lamb. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Let us join in our hearts together in a reading to prepare our hearts. Why has the Passover feast given way to the Lord's Supper? How is Jesus Christ the true and final Passover lamb? Why do we eat this bread of the Lord's Supper? Why do we drink this cup of the Lord's Supper? The Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, 